0: Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode has been brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th of 2022 in Verona, Italy. This year will be an exclusively in-person edition. The main theme of the event will be all-around wine communication. Tickets are on sale now. So for more information, please visit us at winetowine.net.
1: Welcome to this week's edition of Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People on the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Steve Ray, your host, and my guest this week is Amelia Marinig of uh, Quercia Bella in uh, Tuscany, Chianti. And uh, Emilia, welcome to the show.
2: Hello, Steve. Hello, everyone. Thanks a lot for having me.
1: It's been a challenge getting together. I think we've been trying to set this up for a couple of months, but I'm really happy to uh, to have you on the show and talk about uh, a winery that I think is, is pretty definitive for the region. So why don't you give us a, a, a brief background on you and your career in the wine industry, um, and uh, then we'll get into quite development.
2: Right. So essentially, how much time do I have? So I actually started working in the sea industry about 20 years ago, and I think I started as uh, many of us did, just because I was very interested in wine, and I don't come from a wine family or anything. I come from a wine region, which is Friuli, and I always like to talk about that. But, you know, I got interested in wine. I didn't think back then I could make a profession out of it, so I studied marketing instead. So I went for a marketing degree. And uh, after that, I actually realized that, uh, you know, wine could actually give me work. You know, could be something that I could do not only for pleasure, but, you know, also... Um, as a business venture and I actually started working as an expo manager for a winery in Friuli and uh, after a while uh, well I kind of uh, you know um, I stepped up a little bit and I was in charge of Asian markets and business development in uh, Asia and after that you know it was step by step I actually integrated more of a marketing role uh, more of marketing responsibility into the role and then um, Eventually, when I moved in the UK, I started working for a distributor, a wine distributor based in London, and that's how I met Prochabella because we were the importers and distributors of Prochabella in the UK, and actually the company is still the sole distributor of uh, Prochabella in the UK. So after a few years of doing that, um, you know, Prochabella popped the question, like they were looking for someone to take over their marketing and communication, and uh, I think I left uh, some good memories. Uh, of the time I was working for the distributor and eventually they offered me a position and so I started.
1: So you moved from London to uh, back to Italy? That
2: was quite a recent move because I kind of got stuck in the middle during the pandemic. I was supposed to move to Italy a little bit earlier than what I did in reality so I just moved this year back to italy after 14 years in almost in the uk so
1: well maybe we'll touch on that at the end about what that that experience is like but um let's uh, focus on um the winery now can you give us uh, a brief profile of quercabella size what defines it
2: so i think that uh i mean for people in the wine business quercabella is quite a name that uh, you associate with uh, sustainability and ecological agriculture and viticulture. Because uh, we started, uh, I mean, if I compare our history, actually, the history of Cochabella with some of our neighbors who have been in Canti for like 16 generations or something like that, we are very, you know, we I always make jokes about the fact that we don't have eight surnames and we don't own a castle, you know. So that uh, gives you gives you indication of uh, what you are in Canti let's say. So we started very recently compared because we start in 1974 as an official year of foundation. And the ownership is actually, it's not from Tuscany. So it's a family that came from yeah. So Giuseppe Castiglione is the founder, was the founder of Perciabella, an extremely wealthy and, I'm going to say, very well-connected businessman that invested into wine. And the reason why I invested into, you know, Canti Classico and into building a winery in Canti Classico was because it was a big, Huge, I would say, wine lover and collector, private collector. And he was especially keen on Burgundy, and that's kind of a reference and an inspiration for much of the things that we do at Coachabella. But as I was telling in the beginning, probably the thing that uh, we stand out the most actually, our winemaking practices, our viticultural and winemaking practices, was we became organic. Quite early on, uh, again, it's probably fair to say, the end of the eighties, when there wasn't a certification yet for viticulture, there were the first protocols uh, on the European level about uh, organic farming, for example. So our stance since those years was actually to limit the impact and the use of, for example, chemicals or any, you know, any substances that were used and are still used in conventional agriculture. So I think it's fair to say again that we were one of the first wineries to do so in Tuscany and uh, in Italy as well. Uh, in 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 the year 2000, sorry, came the conversion to biodynamics and we've been strictly biodynamic for about 10 years. And the latest biggest change that we have introduced at Huachabella is the plant-based uh, conversion. So Huachabella is 100% vegan. So not only you know, when it comes to uh, winemaking practices, so obviously we don't use any animal byproducts with, throughout winemaking. We also do not use any animal-based uh, product in the vineyard. So no manure, no preparations, nothing like such. And I think that's kind of like, what really distinguishes us from the rest. So it's this combination of different practices and uh, philosophies that we apply in uh, both in the vineyards and in the cellar. Minimal intervention is a good word also to describe what we do.
1: Okay. Give us a sense of the uh, the, the brands that you you have and the relative uh, pricing in the US.
2: So, okay. Our- I mean, in the U.S., is quite well spread out, I would say, from, for example, our best-selling wine in terms of numbers is Mongrana, which I think retains for just below the $20 mark on a shelf. And then we go up to, obviously, our top ranges, which includes our Super Toscans, like Amartina and Palafreno, and Batar, which is probably the wine that you know, that brings uh, the tag around. And I would go for hundreds of dollars, I guess.
1: Your importer in the U.S. is Maison Mark and Domain, MMD, uh, uh, as you call it. Give us a history of that and um, what role they play. I have a couple of specific questions about it, but just give us a perspective on why Maison Mark and Domain and um, your thoughts on them as an importer.
2: Obviously, we are very, very happy to uh, to be represented and imported by by MMD, US, which I think it's one of the greatest names in uh, in life of the US. And our cooperation is pretty, it's pretty steady. We are, of course part of a quite a large portfolio of brands, which includes some of the best Italian brands, like, for example, Pio Cesare it's one of our say our uh, friends on the portfolio. Uh, and of course all the, the, the brands that naturally belong to among uh, their own state so it's a it's a great portfolio it's obviously you are looking probably some of the most premium brands that are distributed there and uh, we are very steady in terms of uh, both our positioning and uh, our overall sales uh, we let's say year after year year on year we are quite uh, quite in a stable position i would say for us consider that for us the u.s is the number one market in terms of volume and i think it's still in terms of value but even though Italy this year is you know it's, it's advancing very fast for us now, how long have you been with uh, mmd uh, i think it's a, probably over 10 years now because now it's twenty twenty, something like that.
1: Uh, one of the others that uh, they import is Livio Faluga, and I'm yep. very familiar with that brand.
2: It's very close to home for me, Livio Faluga, as well. Well,
1: I was going to say there was the Friuli connection, and um, I know Andrea Faluga, and. Uh, I have a funny but off-color story, which unfortunately I can't say over the air. But um, anybody who meets me in person, I'll tell you that story, and I guarantee you will laugh. But I think the quality of the brands that are in their portfolio are really, really significant. I mean,
2: I just name a few of them. You know, I'm I'm gonna apologize to all French nationals because my French is pretty bad. I think it's broader. But again, I do apologize for the bad uh, pronunciation as well as you know. Dallas and I mean, they're all great brands, I have to say. So, uh, we can only be pleased. Uh, of course, Petrus, I was um, forgetting about the proving the main one, but you know,
1: yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the list and going, Wow, what great! Code <laughs> Dominus in the US,
2: you think of yeah. and uh, imagine, I mean, and think also about it being brands that they carry, but, you know, you have, there you go with Italy. I think it's very well represented as well by obviously Portabella, but you name the few, Castiglione del Bosco is another one. And then you look at the Californian operations and, uh, you know, in skill from Canada and the auswine. So it's great to be in great company. And I think that for us it's very important to work with such a partner in a large market that is as the U S. Because they understand very well what it means to carry a brand that, you know, delivers quality, delivers prestige, but also it needs to be treated in a certain way. And by treated, I really refer to, you know, especially positioning. So, fortunately, uh, even though with uh, ones like Mongrana, we, we try to get to the everyday consumers and to be, you know, enlarged retailers as well. I think that most of Forchabella wines find their own, you know, natural fitting in restaurants, especially the algorithms of the restaurant trade.
1: That was going to be one of my questions. So uh, speaking of that, you've been watching the U.S. market for a long time. Uh, Your English is great. What are the changes that you're seeing in the U.S. market, particularly in terms of how consumers find out about wine and, and, and the role overall of communication? One of the new tools um, that actually I'll be giving a presentation on at Wine to Wine in uh, Verona in November is on podcasting. Obviously, we're on a podcast now. Are you guys doing anything with podcasting?
2: So we we kind of try to, to get into that, <laughs> you guys, through the pandemic. So both podcasting and um, you know, uh, video interviews or, you know, online tasting and uh, all of these type of activities. But unfortunately, we don't have much resources that we can put in that in that side of, uh, of communication. We're very happy to participate in two interviews, for example. So we try to do that as much as we can. We always kind of try to make ourselves available though It might take a little bit of time, but eventually, you know, we, we're always keen on, uh, on the, I think that podcasting is a very, I mean, it's a serious thing to do. I mean, meaning that it takes the uh, experience, it takes the right skills to do that. It takes also the right type of uh, presence, if you like. So I'm not sure if I start doing podcasting, how many people are going to turn up, to be honest, just listen to me talking about Portabella. And um, maybe I'm wrong, but in general, we notice that it's better to do this type of things with a professional like yourself, for example, or others that we have encountered, you know, globally. Uh, you know, I have a very good friend uh, who's based in, uh, in Friuli by chance, who's based in Friuli, that is doing uh, podcasting to a really high level. And it's always a pleasure to to support him. You know, I'm, I'm a big listener, for example, of the Italian wine podcast. I, I don't think I have missed one since the beginning, you know, but to do it ourselves, I think, I feel we're just not, you know, prepared enough to do that in a way.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't think it's warranted for an individual brand. I mean, I'm, I'm still struggling. I'm, I'm trying to put this presentation together and trying to figure out what what really what role does podcasting play. And I think it's it's kind of an evolution of what used to be wine magazines printed. Magazines. The difference being, obviously, this is an interview format and it's a conversation as opposed to just uh, an article or somebody kind of um, interviewing somebody and then writing a, a piece out of it. I
2: think that, honestly speaking, you are looking at, you know, at, at least three good, uh, let's say, three good uh, points about podcasting. First of all, it's seriously giving a voice. Because, you know, you might read an interview, you might read about someone, and uh, it's very much your perspective as as a reader, let's say. But when you hear someone speaking, talking, you can hear a tone of voice, you can understand, you know, much more about the person and, well, talking about brands, also the brands they represent. I think that that carries a value, which is a much more personal appeal, if you like.
1: Yeah, and I think that's my point about conversations. And One of the points I'm going to make is that um, the web is all about uh, conversations. Markets are conversations, and we have to speak like humans, not um, the way I used to write press releases. I mean, this conversation is getting more into details with you giving your own personal experience rather than it going through me as a filter, and I, I think that's significant. I look at it as much more journalism than promotional. But take it the next step. You had mentioned earlier in a conversation we had that you have an interest in influencers in terms of trade leverage. Obviously, Borja has a a lot of uh, street cred in the U.S. You have a history of presence in the U.S., great brand resonance with consumers. What are you guys doing from the point of view of trade leverage now that's different than, say, before COVID?
0: Italian wine podcast. If you think you love wine as much as we do, then give us a like and a follow anywhere you get your pods.
2: So um, I I think that if you are thinking specifically about the role of influencer, for example, which has been like one of the buzzwords in marketing recent years, let's say, I think, you know, let's say when I, when I joined I let's just just take a step back. I think that was very much the years when the influencers start making an appearance and when brands started to understand how actually to use influencers to their own advantage. I'm always being quite, uh, by nature, I think, a quite um, careful person. So I never get very excited at first. So it takes me a little bit of time to excite me. So I always ask myself, what is your objective? So let's say, let's talk about brand resonance, for example. If my objective would be brand resonance, is it fair? Is it is it good? Is a good idea to put my money with, let's say, an influencer that has forty thousand followers or another thousand followers, but that maybe is just standing in front of a camera, very making like very nice videos and very funny videos and showing my bottle around, is that going to seriously generate an uplift in both sales and the positioning of my wines? My answer is, I don't think so. But supposingly that, for example, I'm rebranding or I'm launching a new product and I want this product to be seen by as many persons as possible, then that would make a lot of sense. And I'm just talking about traditional, traditional influencer. So seriously, the one that, you know, spread the, the glasses around and show amazing pictures of amazing vineyards, but any vineyards look a little the same from afar and stuff like that. I'm not sure that brings value to, to my, body, especially with Corcabella. So then I ask myself, what are real, what are really influencers in the wine trade? My answer is people that can help you move the wine in terms of like, again, moving up, this is my positioning or broadly expanding, and this is my turnover. And I ultimately think is that people that I've leveraged in this industry. and that could be anyone from a journalist, maybe not a traditional journalist, but someone that writes about wines, or someone that talks about wines, why not? And or that could be someone that has been working in the industry for 20 years and has been working in the best, you know, just making an example, best restaurants in New York as a som, or, or a head of buying or a beverage, food and beverage manager. So, you know, in working long career, he has a, a reputation, is trusted by his peers, but also, you know, he helps the trade grow in, uh, in experience and uh, in knowledge. So these are, for me, the great influencer. And I'm, we are talking about the US market in this conversation that we are having, but I think that very much applies in many of the mature, mature markets, sorry. So I consider the U.S. to be quite mature, as I would consider the U.K., for example. where you know, you have quite a good knowledge on an average, so that you can tell your wife from your red, and your probably your Chianti from your uh, from your Pinot Grigio. So I think that's what really, you know, that was my answer when, as I said, three years ago I started looking at you know, social media and digital media for coachabella Because everyone wants to work with coachabella That's a different there's an, also another fact.
1: Right. So talk more about that. What kind of digital things are you are you guys doing? Can you speak about one or two initiatives?
2: Absolutely. But first of all, just before COVID started, we had this great idea of starting a wine club and um let's say um we're starting getting you know, putting our hands down on um, email marketing. So we have this email marketing program that, you know, is basically a newsletter that alternates uh, news from Portabella with, you know, special offers and uh, special releases of of some of our iconic wines. And that goes out currently to a few, more than a few hundreds of people. And the U.S., going to be surprised to hear that, in terms of demographics, is the number one market for email marketing. from I, I would believe that. Even, don't get me wrong, uh, it doesn't translate into the number of sales that we do. Because probably we sell more to uh, European-based customers rather than U.S.-based customers. But a lot of people from the U.S. sign up for the newsletter. They like to be engaged with the brand. They like to know what's going on. Then they might, you know, go out to the their local shop or to the local restaurants and buy and find Cochabella there. I'm not saying that we are shipping or ask for it if it's not there. Exactly. So that's absolutely it's it's a really good way to actually get in touch with your customer base. We are not very invasive because also you you see the digital marketing operations here. I'm the one that is actually handling that with the aid of a graphic designer and another person that. Uh, me with the more technical side of things. but you know it's more operations and um, we're not very invasive as a way, as I was just saying you so it's not a weekly newsletter. We try to communicate when there is something that is worth communicating, as well as when we are in a, you know close to the point of you know a new wine release or we are about to release you know a vertical case of Camartina or Batar or something like that. And I think that the customers really appreciate that. They appreciate it because it's timely. It's, it's very direct communications, you know, come from us. It's a way, as I said, to, to keep in touch. Most of the people that sign up for the newsletter are actually people that have been at Corsabella. They visited those you know, I mean, we obviously come from an area, which is Cianto Classical, where, where, you know, nowadays in September, we are flooded with American tourists. They move, drive around, they come up to see us, you know, they, they like to explore the territory. And they're very keen on signing up. So I would say to give you a comparison, if I approach an Italian person, an Italian consumer, and I say, would you like to sign up to my newsletter? Chances are they're going to say, mm, maybe no, maybe you think about it, I'll let you know, you know. US people are actually very adamant to it. I think that they are used to the concept of wine club and direct sales because you've done a hell of a job, great job, especially in Napa, creating this type of experiences for consumers. So you're naturally... More inclined and less suspicious, you know, when they sign up.
1: I, I think that's really well stated. I, I think, uh, and that's really important. So, but let me jump to the fundamental question. Okay, so somebody's been to the winery. Great, you captured their email address. Great, you turn them from someone who is aware of the brand all the way into someone who is an evangelist for the brand. Wonderful as well. You have some of these wines. What if they live in uh, North Dakota? How do you get the wines to somebody from all the first places in the U.S.?
2: And that's the biggest not problem because uh, I would say challenge. Depending where obviously this person is located in the U.S., there are different regulations that regulates the distribution of wine. And also, you know, we are talking about not only restrictions in terms of what you can do and you cannot do, but also, the, for example, delivery times. Also, vary a lot from country to country, and then again because we trust our distributors very much. So MMD is anyway our operational arm, if you like, in the U.S. We always try to figure out a way, or you know, make a suggestion like, we you can find our wines this this, this, and there, and if that's not possible, uh, we you know we collaborate with uh, local courier that more or less works with. Uh, Everyone in county because um, I guess uh, I'll do it and you we'll try. Local in
1: county or uh, local in the US, you're talking about? The local courier.
2: We always, we go for always have to, to, you know, to, um, sorry. Um, I'm talking about the local courier in county because they are the ones that actually handle the delivery from us. It's a little bit of a strange system. Because as a binary, I cannot ship directly to the US. That would not be allowed by costumes, by you know the regulation and stuff like that. So the local courier does the shipping for us. It's a very bizarre way to, to do that. It's totally legal, by the way, even if we are in Italy, you know, there's a the tendency of... Let's say in Italy, there's always a tendency of finding a way. There's a if there's a will, there's a way, it should be the motto of italians, I think. You know what? I mean? So, the way that we work is actually so you come to see Coachabella, for example. And let's talk about the physical visit. Uh, you taste the wine, you like the wine, you want them to have them shipped back to the US. You basically pay the wine to Coachabella. And we made sure that the price the consumers pay at Coachabella is not gonna, uh, you know, screw up distribution channel. I have bad news for the people that drive up to Coachabella to buy our wines. You're not really saving much money, but the experience is great. But so you, you, obviously, you buy what would be the equivalent of retail price in Italy. And that's the money goes straight to Coachabella obviously you know invoice and scontrino and everything else. And then you fill up a form that is provided by the courier and it's almost like you are shipping the wines to yourself. So it's the American client that fills in the form with their own, you know, data. The form goes to the courier and it's the courier that emails, for example, the pay by link directly to the client. So we don't get paid for the delivery of the wine. We have very little control on the delivery. And that unfortunately is a problem, especially nowadays, which you have like longer delivery terms and you know becoming a little bit more difficult to ship around the world, I think, in general terms. So we don't have control on that. I can only mail you, you know, the tracking number, but, or help you to, to, to see where you find the ones, But it's very much the courier handling the shipment. And that's a big limitation.
1: Yeah, and that's primarily for people who visited the winery. What I would like to know more about is how you're handling e-commerce through the rank and file of American consumers who may find it.
2: It's basically the same thing, but instead of ending you the form, I pass your details to the courier, and the courier is sending you a pay by link by email and you favor.
1: Okay, so it's not necessarily being managed by Maison Market and Domain through their e-commerce solution distributions.
2: Wow! But don't get me wrong. Obviously, this is a scenario that we have that we face in all markets, because you know what you are you are telling me is basically why don't isn't it um, creating a little bit of a damage to an Indian in way? Not a damage, but it's preventing them from doing some sales. And anyone, any market would actually ask the same thing. But we are very careful about how we sell the wines, and by how I mean how much we sell it for. So, again, I'm not sure that it's actually cheaper to buy from here or from our e-commerce. If you count in what you're going to spend in terms of commodities, so that's a very important thing. And also, you know, we choose to release very specific things via our e-commerce and our wine club. So, you obviously, if you go on Quattabella web shop, you see certain references, and that's usually the core vintages that we display, that we put there on display. And again, these are the prices that you probably pay for if you go to a local bar, yeah. to an annotator, I us say, in Italy. But this is the tip of the iceberg for us. Because how I really deliver value to my clients via you know, email marketing and uh, online sales is by releasing these special offers that we do on a, you know, almost regular basis, things that they cannot find on the market or that, you know, they'll find it very rarely, let's say. I'm talking about back vintages, for example.
1: So are you available on things like Wine.com, Drizzly, um, is your wine, are you on wine
2: searcher? Uh, yes, we are. I mean, they are. And pro- uh, perhaps not the full range, because obviously that's very much, as we were saying, depending on the positioning of each, uh, of each wine and of each, uh, you know, uh, reference. But especially for Mongrana and Chianti Classical, those are the two references that you are most likely to encounter there. And then obviously we work with the traditional uh, brick and mortar, you know, shops very well. Because I don't think one without the the other, by the way, so. You talked a little bit
1: about social media and getting closer to your consumers. And we were talking about the the impact of wine influencers, but what kind of social media programs are you running? And do you run that from Italy, or is that something that your importer and distributors manage for you
2: in the US? So everything we do in terms of communication and marketing, Runs by, by by me, I would say, but also starts from here and is handled by us directly. So, if uh, you know, usually, we obviously, decide a yearly calendar or activities, and that's include also the social media editorial calendar and the things that we're going to do, the activities we're going to do social media wise. And then, obviously, we benefit from what our distributors or our partners worldwide could do. But in terms of Social media communications, we decide and we end on that. It's almost a sort of like... Uh,
1: okay. So what platforms are you working with?
2: Mainly, for us, Instagram is the biggest. Not the biggest in terms of uh, followers, but in terms of, let's say, interactions and, uh, you know, the, the type of um, exposure that we have. Facebook, I think, is still, for us, leading in terms of numbers, but... Is going down, actually it's not going down. It's being stable and Instagram for us does the most part. Also because I think that we, uh, you know, we put a lot of emphasis of on how things look like. So of course our number one priority is to make the best ones possible, but also we present them in a certain way. And I think that the visual impact that Instagram offers fits us very well. We are not on any of the younger type of platform. I say younger, but TikTok, yeah. But again, I think that we're also very traditional in the way that we portray ourselves as a brand. So I would I would say that Instagram for us is the main social media channel. And then well, we do a hell of a job too on our website as well, in terms of keeping, you know, our um you know, the copywriting is a big part of what we do at Watchabella, as well as, you know, keeping the information up to date. So I think for us, as a, the three main digital channels are the website, the um, the newsletters, and um, the Instagram.
1: Okay, one last thing that uh, you had mentioned, and um, uh, I was curious about, we didn't really talk about it uh, in our initial conversation, about a guest taster program could you explain
2: that yeah so it's actually a program that we started in italy at the beginning of well across let's say 2020 and sorry 2021 2022 it's basically we got in touch with an influencer in italy i think that she she's proud to, to go by the name influencer Simona Geri and uh, we kind of uh, up to the point, actually, let me say up to that point. So, you know, yeah, up to the point, sorry, we didn't really have tasty notes at Coachabella. We never believed in having tasty notes because we always give the opportunity to people that buy our wines to taste our wines and so on and so forth to tell us, you know, or to tell themselves, oh, yeah, this, you know, looks like this mess like that and taste like that. We never like to actually put it, you know, as a dictate because some company, you know, might like to do that, but we never, we never believed that was worthwhile. And then, you know, we kind of met uh, Simona and uh, we were very keen on the way that she actually tastes the one, evaluates the one. She's a nice so many and she has all, you know, actually the, 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 I mean, the technical skills to do a proper evaluation. So, we kind of said like, hey, why don't you write the tasting notes for us? So why don't you act like our guest taster? Might have some good tasters at the winery, including obviously our winemaker, our uh, global sales director, and much of my colleagues, to be honest with you. But we wanted also to have an outside voice because how, again... I can give you indication about how this wine is going to feel and how this wine is going to taste, but I think it always gives a different angle if someone else does. So we kind of done that for a few months with Simona, and I'm very much looking to export that concept because obviously, you know, I'm looking at the global, uh, global stage. Uh, I would very much like to engage with someone who's UK, uh, US based. Sorry for the first year, and then looking at some. I, cons- I I, try to think it as a traveling role find, you know, um, every year finding someone that can be a good advocate for Coachabella, a good, uh, you know, good ambassador, if you like. And again, he has to be someone that has the experience, the technical skills to do that. So that's again. That's a very important thing for us. It has to be some that, as, as I said, the, the experience, the um, the leverage as well. Because uh, our wines deserve that. We deserve that as a brand.
1: One of the things I like to do when I end the conversation is is talk about what's the big takeaway. We've touched on a, touched on a whole bunch of different subjects. Um, A lot of it is is new, even though you and I have have talked a couple of times before. What's the big takeaway for somebody in the trade who would be listening to this conversation that they could put to use immediately, either from things that you've talked about that you guys are doing that they could copy or revise or um, something new about the brand that you think can make a difference uh, to the brand sales in the U.S.? What's
2: the big takeaway? I think that if, we, especially if we are talking to you know talking about direct to consumers type of communication, the number one thing that you need to make sure of is that you are relevant to the people you talk to. So you need to understand very well who's your audience. You cannot talk to everyone, or, or, or better, you can talk to everyone, but not everyone is going to be interested. So there's not going to be value in reaching a million people. If out of these million people, only five respond to your message. And by respond, I don't mean answer, but they respond in an emotional, in a personal way. So it's very important that you understand who who's your target and that your communication is always relevant to the target. So it might be worth for a brand to be on TikTok. It might not be. It might be more important for you, you know, to have a website that is functional to your trade partners, for example, rather than plenty of uh, nice pictures and nice buzzwords. Uh, It's always about, you know, delivering, and that's not just me saying, it's the marketing science that says that, deliver the right message to the right people. That's through the right ways, the right means, let's say, so you can choose as well as a brand it's not because social media are big for the majority of people that you need to be big on social media to be successful as a communicator or as a brand you have to choose what you do and you know do that well
1: we've come to the end of our session today uh so a big thank you to Amelia marinig it's been a challenge to, to get this done but we did thank you very much and um Tune in next week to get U.S. market ready with Italian wine people on the Italian Wine Podcast for another interesting interview with somebody in the business. This is Steve Ray. See you next week.
0: We hope you enjoyed today's episode brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th, 2022 in Verona, Italy. Remember, tickets are on sale now. So for more information, please visit us at winetowine.net.